Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. In today's episode of Our Classroom, we are joined by Africa Afeni Mills. She's an education consultant, adjunct instructor, and the author of Open Windows, Open Minds, Developing Anti-Racist, Pro-Human Students. She works with teachers, instructional coaches, and administrators to develop and sustain student-centered learning experiences that are diverse, inclusive, and equitable. Africa believes that all educators can be motivated, engaged, dynamic practitioners and leaders when provided with the support needed to create student-centered, anti-bias, anti-racist, culturally responsive learning environments that inspire wonder and creativity and nurture diversity, belonging, equity, and inclusion. With us today, Africa of Faney Mills. Hey, my people, I am thrilled to have Africa of Faney Mills. That's right, of Faney with the A, all right? You see it with an E, but you pronounce it with an A. Yeah. Right? So- <laughs> Get it right, folks. I know there's a temptation to say Afeni, and trust me, I had the temptation, but that's why I asked first. We should ask people how they want us to pronounce their names instead of doing what sometimes the people do to me, some of the older folks that I play pickleball with, that they'll they'll, they'll call me Robert. And I'm like, hey, my name is Roberto. There's an O at the end. And yes, you should try to roll your R because my name is Roberto, Yeah. Not- Robert, not Bob, not Bobby, Roberto. And no, you can't call me Rob because I don't know you like that. When we know each other, we got a good flow. Then you could call me Rob. That's for my people. All right. In a circle. But if I don't know you like that, don't chop my name down. Don't give me another name. Call me by the name that my mama gave me and my father, by the way, because I grew up in a parent household. All right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> again, we have Africa Faney Mills. She is doing awesome work. But before we get into the work, I want to start with your name. Yes. Because you have a beautiful and powerful name. And I believe names have stories behind them. Awesome. Some people's stories are more elaborate than others, but stories nonetheless. Yes. So, I want to start there because... This is our first time really connecting like that. Even though we've had connection on the online platforms, this is yeah. the first time I've been able to speak to you straight up. And yeah. I'd like to get to know a little something about the folks that I'm building community with yeah. and, and I'm interviewing as yeah. a way to just make it a little more personal. Totally. Yes. Let me. And so I'm, I'm going to steal this joke from Uzo Aduba. She was just like, yes, my name is Uzo Amaka. I got it for my birthday. I was like, I love that. I love that. Yes, I got this name for my birthday. And hey. It, from my mom and dad, who, because I was born in the mid-70s, and my parents weren't quite 
like me official members of the Black Panther Party, but they were member approximate. And this is something that was part of their lives. And so when I was born, they were like, yes, we want our baby girl to remember who her ancestors are. We want to name her after the motherland. And we're going to spell it with a K because that was the original spelling before it was changed. And then Afeni is um, after Afeni Shakur, who is Tupac Shakur's mom, who was, who was a member of the Black Panther Party. And so I don't know if they knew this at the time, but her Afeni means dear one in Yoruba, I believe. And so I'm just like, oh, that's beautiful. So, yep, that's the story behind my name. Yes. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's great. That's awesome. I'm glad you shared that. I I don't I don't know if a lot of folks ask about that, but to, to me, sometimes I'll read a, a person's name and it's there's a uniqueness, right? Yep. There's there's something particular. And yes. so with your name, every time I was seeing it on Twitter, I'm like, huh, I wonder. Yes. What yes. the story is. Absolutely. And when I was a little kid, I didn't appreciate the beauty of it. Because, you know, like when you're a kid, you want to you don't want to really stand out. You want to be like other kids. And the kids were not kind to me. They take they tease me a lot for my name. But I grew to really like, you know, to really appreciate my name. So it definitely is a gift for my parents. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that gift. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So much to talk about today. I'm excited to learn from you. Hey. following some of your work and really interested to hear about your book, hear about your approach, hear about your experiences yeah. and and hear some insight that could be helpful, not just to me, but to our audience. Yeah. And so I, I want to start with your book. Okay. The title of your book is Open Windows, Open Minds. I love that subtitle, mm -hmm. Developing Anti-Racist pro Human students. Wow. Yes, that's, yes. that's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> but I love it. I'm I'm drawn in. I'm drawn yes. in. So yes. what is an anti-racist pro-human student? And mm -hmm. how do you develop such a student? Yes. And so for me, I'll tell you a little bit about where the approach to that title came from and it'll connect to, to, your, to your question. So um, thinking about like I've had an opportunity to over the past years, I've been an educator for over 20 years. It was about 23 years and um, did a lot of work on culturally responsive teaching and learning, which is so I, I still don't feel like people get it right. But it's still doing that work on, on culturally responsive teaching and learning. And then as I was thinking about like, what does that mean for all students? And what does this work look like for students who are not black and brown students? I was like, yeah, you know, white students are, you know, when we think about words like at risk and underserved, I'm like, yeah, white students who are not being taught to be anti-racist are at risk and they are being underserved, right? I don't think we think about that enough. And so when I think about like, how do you create an anti-racist pro-human student is that you, we, we diligently work toward making sure that we center our shared humanity in the work that we do in schools, right? So I think that like racialization causes a disruption to that. And, and it was done intentionally, right? To subjugate, to oppress, right? To separate, um, to separate people and to, to develop a hierarchy. And so this approach to, to teaching really is about like helping to, to interrupt that, right? To interrupt that, um, that concept of division and subjugation and really helping students like using that, um, the concept of windows and mirrors to truly see yourself and the possibilities that exist for you as a human member of the human family and see other people with respect and dignity and celebration. 
So that's what it means to me. And then how do we, how do we, I mean, this is, this is definitely going to be something we dig into a bit more, but I think we create students that way by making sure we do that work ourselves, right? Because most of us did, were not taught in our K to 12 schools, how to, you know, to have that perspective or mindset. So I think we really have to begin with our self-work and then we then share that work that we do with giving students opportunities to do the same. That's an interesting framing when you say white students are at risk when yes. they're not being taught, and I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but when when they're not being taught to understand and identify how racialization is impacting their own lens, their own experiences. Yeah, no, you got it. You got it. <laughs> yep, that's it. I, that's it. And, and I think that's a great framing. I, I think it's, I, I, I would love to hear more people maintain that perspective and talk about at risk in that sense, right? Yes. Because when we're talking about at risk, it's often talking about at risk of dropping out, yes. uh, at, at risk of low grades, at risk of ending up in prison. Yes. And, and yeah. obviously we're often the conversation is centered around students of color, particularly black students, yes. right? Students of African yes. descent. Yes. And Brown students, you know, Spanish speaking students, yep. um, and generally low income. Yes, yes. And not not that it that conversation should be dismissed because it shouldn't, right. right? There's relevance in engaging in that conversation. Yes. And I, I do believe there's just as much importance in engaging in this conversation and what you're framing in terms of like, hey. Our, our white students need particular supports also for yes. their areas of risk. Yes, absolutely. Right. Like, I know we all see it and I think we need to call it out more. Like you were saying, too. Right. Like when we see things like January 6th, when we see racially motivated shootings and violence. Right. When we see those things that are often perpetrated by young white folks, specifically young white men. Right. It's just like, yeah, that's absolutely it's absolutely a risk. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Let, let's get into some tangible ways that administrators and teachers could do this work. And yeah. what what you just said is a common thread when I'm interviewing folks who are who are doing this, the work that we do, right? You got to do the self-work. Totally. All right. So we we've established that. Yes. Um and, and I I want you to share with us what are three action steps mm-hmm. that administrators, teachers could take to transform their instructional practices. I know that a lot of your work is is grounded in transforming instructional practices and providing the necessary supports, providing the training, really coaching people up, challenging and encouraging them. And so we're obviously not going to resolve everything (laughs) in the short time that we have together. But I, I think there's some practical advice, some steps that you could offer folks for them to engage now. Absolutely. And so I'll say just a little bit more tangibly, because I think sometimes when people hear the reference to self-work, it's just like, okay, I will read a book. I will listen to a podcast. I will watch a documentary. But I I would say, honestly, the first step is kind of like really also realizing the need to operationalize your self-work, right? And so like, whether that means you going through, like looking at the stages of racial identity development, if it means looking at your own racial autobiography, if it means looking at your community where you live and the who are the authors of the books you read, who are you voting for, 
Who are you like? Who are the voices that influence you? Like, who are you surrounded by? And what does that mean? Right. Like, what does that mean? So taking that and taking an honest and vulnerable and humble look. Right. And then being like, OK, so I've done this self-work. And so I know I need to be able to bring that into the school space. Right. For administrators. And so then that means I would, so I would say, like, operationalize your, your self-work. And then like that, that next step would be for me is creating the structures to sustain those conversations in that transformative practice. Because I think in my experience, so much of what has happened in the past is that folks may have an awakening and start to be like, oh, we need to do something culturally responsive or something anti-racist. And so we'll bring a speaker in at the beginning of the year in the summer and we'll have an all staff discussion, not even discussion, presentation. And then the work is not even made to come to life in the school space. And I think the administrators have a lot of influence over what can happen. So creating spaces for people to have that ongoing work and protecting that teacher collaboration time to infuse, not in, infuse, out because I, I don't want to say infuse because I don't want it to come across as if it's an add-on because it isn't, to make sure that right. this is the lens with which we are doing all of the work. And so create those spaces so you don't have to worry, teachers don't have to worry about being like, I don't have time. There's no time of the day set aside for us to do this work, right? And it's something I, I just really don't have the space to add on another thing. And then as far as like, the, the next step that we would be able to take is to make sure that not only do the structures exist, right, and that we're having a clear path to doing this work that we need to do to really change our practices and our instruction, right, but that we're also making sure that we are communicating that with the, the larger school community. Because I think a lot of times like when I see this work, it's too often that there are like pockets of teachers who have decided that they want to take on the work and it's not something that's part of the whole school community. And so I would say that that needs to be part of the work for this, like not just the teaching staff, but the whole staff of the, you know, the whole staff in the community, the school board, right? The, you know, the site council, like all of the, the parts of the community is making sure that that work gets spread intentionally and in a way that's going to be ongoing. So it's not like we're just going to do this this year. But we're going to do this. This is our our five year plan because every year we're going to get better at this, right? And it will be a long term commitment. So yeah, I would say operationalize self work, create the stru structures to sustain the work, and make sure the work is pervasive throughout the whole school community. I like that. I like that. And I, I appreciate the focus on structures, systems, mm -hmm. looking at the whole community, really working with all the stakeholders yes so that things don't get lost in the sauce that's right that's right it's absolutely. It, it's, it's absolutely easy to for this work to become an afterthought yes and you create you have a subcommittee right yeah, oh, exactly diversity committee <laughs> that's their work they're gonna yes. drive that yes maybe the committee experiences some fatigue because Oftentimes, it's, it ends up being too much work for a subcommittee, right? Because Absolutely. the work is not spread out, right? It's it should be just a part of what we do. It's yes, a part absolutely. of our practice. Is a part of who we are. Right. That's exactly right. Because that's the thing that doesn't really help. Like if you have pockets of teachers who are doing the work and then students are going to other teachers who have opted out and it's not something that's continuous or they go into the, the, the lunchroom and they hear cafeteria workers saying things that don't align with what you're saying we believe about students and, and their families. Right. And, or they're on a bus and they're having interactions with the bus driver or with other students. You know, like it has to be something that everyone is committed to. 
Absolutely. And so based on your experience, I've read some stuff on on your website that talked about what white anti-racist, anti-bias practitioners wish they would have known when they were K-12 students. And so I'm interested to hear some of that feedback that you've received in workshops you've done. What, What are at least three things that you've heard folks say that they wish they would have known or are mm-hmm. white brothers and sisters or are white allies or mm-hmm. white co-conspirators mm-hmm. that are engaged in anti-bias, anti-racist practice. What what are what's some of that feedback? What are some things, at least three things yeah. that you you've heard from them that they wish they would have known in their K-12 experience as students? Yeah. So I would say the first thing is that so many of them have said they really wish they would have known what it would be would have been like to have black and brown teachers and to know black and brown people personally so so many of them were just like i didn't have a black teacher ever in my k to 12 experience or the first time i had a black teacher was when i went to college right or like so they didn't really even they didn't really have the opportunity to know not only educators but people in their community because of the way that communities are still segregated right that they they don't they didn't get a chance to know black and brown people and so they're like i really wanted that i really longed for that as a kid right and so it wasn't something that i had access to but it's something that i wanted because as they got to be adults they realized that a lot of the messages that they had about people who were racially or culturally or ethnically different from them were false narratives and deficit narratives. And it only came from the media and from people who also didn't know, you know, have relationships with black and brown people. So definitely what it would have been like to have relationships with people um, in schools and in their communities who were racially different. They also talked about um, they would like to have known what it looked like to be a white person who works together in solidarity with folks of color and that, you know, that whiteness doesn't have to mean colonizer and oppressor. It ca- it could mean abolitionist. It could mean freedom fighter. It could mean there's so many other possibilities that they didn't even, they were never even taught that there were pe- white folks who would have, had done this work. And then I think also too, that um, they talked about really wanting to have known that race was a social construct that was created to, so like we were talking about earlier, to subjugate and to separate and oppress, right? That it was created that, you know, that whiteness was created as this, you know, this category of people who were allegedly superior to everyone else. And they they were like, we wish that we had known that that was not true. Um, because growing up with that that falsehood really just, you know, like they see now how it has played out in society at every level. And they wish that from the time that they were really young, that they had had the opportunity to really know, know those things. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about this work, and and now we were talking about our, our white brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. but we, we, we could apply this in different ways, right? We could take different topic areas and and apply it to our own biases that we've struggled with or whatnot. Yeah. It's this stuff is so deeply ingrained that you can see why it's so difficult for for folks to kind of get over the hump sometimes or, or so difficult to to do this work, to engage in this work. Like it takes a real commitment. It takes true intentionality because all that stuff is playing in your head and, mm-hmm. and and has permeated your being. That's a perfect word. Yes, for years. Yes, and now you have folks 
right? And depending on who you're encountering or what you're encountering, yeah, it could either hit you super hard, yep, <laughs> right? Be- because whoever's delivering the message, they may not be thinking about that, right? They may not be thinking about your background and, and thinking about like, hey, you know, well, let me consider my approach in order to yeah. get close, right? Because ultimately, what we should be working towards is proximity. I, I like to talk about proximity a lot. And Brian Stevens says, you That's know, just, just mercy. And, yes. Right. And, and, you know, really when we're looking at how different folks engage in, in this type of work, right. And when I say this, I'm referring to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, so on and so forth. Yeah. That there's all types of different approaches. Yes. And, and some folks, might have an approach that's too soft, right? Too passive. And then it allows you to continue in your ways. Yep. And your, your ways may, they may be harmful. Right. You know, so certain stuff that you've been living with might just, it might be reinforced by a practitioner's passiveness. Yes. And then you have the other extreme where you have practitioners that are going, pushing so hard that it might shut you down or yes. it might reinforce the, the harmful stuff that has permeated as I previously said you're being. So I, I think it's it's really important for us to keep the conversation alive in, in terms of like the the certain things that you just mentioned mm-hmm. in terms of the feedback you received, like, oh, I didn't know about white abolitionists. And mm-hmm. um there's a couple other terms that you mentioned, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's so important to offer that spectrum. Yes of um, individuals who are modeling examples, both positive and, and negative. Yep. Uh, and, and then also, obviously, like the, the 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 framework for talking about, you know, this concept of racialization, including whiteness. Yes. So that people are walking away with greater understanding, uh, but they're also walking away with a clear picture of who they can read up on and who should who they could potentially identify as as role models right. that can inspire their work yes. and then you know who they should know about that like hey these individuals that did this way back then there's mm-hmm. a parallel with some of these individuals that you're seeing today That's that right. are causing great harm in our society yes i don't think i need to name names but there's some obvious you know right we know <laughs> So, you know, thank you for sharing some of that feedback that, that you've heard from folks. Yes. You know, I, I I want us, and everybody might not agree with what I'm saying. That's fine. I don't care if everybody agrees with me or not. Same. But Same. my desire is for us to be able to keep this conversation alive in a way where we can come to the table. Right. And That's listen. Exactly right. Listen to each other. Learn from each other. Yes. And, and, and you know, some of... Some of the feedback I've seen folks have shared with mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. based on the work that you've led seems to indicate that that's happening. So kudos to you. Thank you. I mean, I really, truly believe it because like, you know, all of, you know, we think about being an educator in the way we approach teaching and learning with students. And we know that students are not in a space where they can learn if they're amygdala hijacked and they're really going into that, like, you know, that panic zone, right? We know that about students and we talk about avoiding that with them. And I'm like, same thing, right? Because we're all human beings. That same thing happens when people get 
like it's that panic space. They're not able to learn and it's hard to change. So we definitely have to make sure it's both. It's like, don't be like this, but here are some examples of who you can emulate, right? Yeah, it's both. It's both. So talking about people that you can emulate and people that make an impact in your life, yeah. Uh, this is one of my staple questions because yeah. it's fascinating to me to hear the different responses and who folks are influenced by. Yeah. yeah. And so if you had the opportunity to have lunch mm-hmm. with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Right now, honestly, because I'm like, you know, this, I thought about this over my life and it's, you know, the answer changes depending on the season of life that you're in. Sure. Right now, right now for me, it's Viola Davis. Mm. I really want to spend time. I heard a quote from her last night. There was a reel that played, and I didn't see it because it was Lorena was playing it, but I heard the voice, and I'm like, that's Viola. That's how we know that's Viola. That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, like earlier this year, and I'm very much, I am an avid reader. I love listening to audiobooks also. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll get the physical copy. And then I'll get the audio book too. And I read along. And I love you and I have some synergy because I'm I'm the same way. We really do. We really do. And so that's one of the most beautiful experiences I had this year was listening to Viola Davis read her own memoir. And there was so much for me, like resonance in her story. And I loved like not only being able to bear witness to the hard parts of her story and to connect with that, but also to see like, you know, just to hear her perspective, to hear her humor, to see how much work she's done, to see like to hear from her was so powerful. And then to have that followed up by seeing her in The Woman King. And I'm like, it just, I, I need to meet her. I must, I must. <laughs> She's a force. She absolutely is. You know, I saw I saw Woman King and she was awesome. I mean, she's, she's just a great actress, right? Yes. But I heard they, she was being interviewed, I think it was either right before or right after the movie came out. Yeah. She was being interviewed. I think I happened to stumble, like I... I happened to stumble on this interview. Well, I wasn't pursuing it. Just, you know, it popped up in maybe the radio or elsewhere, wherever it was. Yeah. Listening to her talk about some of the things that she had to deal with, some of the struggles in terms of her blackness. Yeah. In terms of yes. her pigmentation. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Right. And and the the messages that she had internalized from others. Mm-hmm. And what she had to do, like how the fact that, you know, she really had to wrestle with that. She really had to overcome that. Yes. And I, and I wish I had the clip and I, I don't remember word for word what she said, but I remember listening to her and just, just hearing the power in her voice, but also hearing, hearing the hurt. Yes. The pain, right? Yes. Yes. It's very, it was very real. Yeah. And, and, It resonated with me. You know, Definitely. I can really connect with that in terms yeah. of, you know, stuff, stuff I've dealt with and yeah. things that I've seen that don't sit right with me. Right. And, you know, in terms of, again, the notion of, of blackness or, yes. or, in, you know, and we, it's almost like you can't talk about that without the notion of whiteness. Right. right. And, right. Right. and so I appreciated the raw truth that she was sharing. Yes. And more so just the, the power, right. The, and the push to overcome. Yes. Those negative messages 
that could be serious barriers to our own progress. That's right. That's right. So yeah, she would be a great person. To, right? She would to to have lunch with and just listen to and learn from and ask questions. Totally. And look, seriously, like following her on IG, like not only the power and her experience and her voice and all the different amazing things in her life, but she's just mad funny. Like the stuff that she posts, I'm like, I encourage everybody to follow her because she just like, this is the stuff she posts is just so like, I, I I feel like I've gotten to, even though I don't know her, know her, right? I feel like I've gotten to know a bit about her by the things she chooses to post. And I'm just like, I just really would love to know her in real life. Yeah. Well, if you end up having lunch with her, I'm going to need you to report back. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can get you in. Because no, it just needs to be me. Like, let's do it together. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> you, you've won me over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what is a message of encouragement that you want to leave our audience with? Yeah. Part of, part of what I try to do on my platform is no matter what we're talking about and how uncomfortable it may make people feel at times or... Or how, you know, negative a strand of a topic may be, you know, because we want to have honest conversations about what's happening, especially in the realm of education uh, and society in general. Yeah. And at the same time, we want to make sure that we're encouraging folks. So what's the message of encouragement that you have for the people? Yeah, I have a twofold message of encouragement. The first one is, um, and I want to be able to attribute this. I don't remember who, but I think folks like you can like definitely be able to search it to find out the source. It's a, um, I believe it's a Mexican proverb that says they tried to bury us if they didn't know we were seeds, right? Ooh. Ooh. So like that, not only us, right, but the students that we're serving, right. There's a lot of there's a lot of noise out there right now. There's a lot of people trying to bury truth and wholeness, right? And love. But I'm like, but yeah, but when you get those seeds in the ground and they have a good soil, right? They didn't know we were seeds. I think that's one part of the message. Then the second one is a quote that I saw by a person named Athena Singh. She says, "Um, never trust your fears. They don't know your strength. And so that, those two, those two. You know, you shared that at a presentation recently, and I know that because somebody tweeted that and thanking you for sharing that. That was one of the questions. I was going to flip that quote as a question to to have you get deeper into it. I'm glad you shared that's one of your encouragements. I, I read that and I was like, wow, that's profound. That's right. That's right. It's not to say that we don't, we're not afraid. Like we go through fears, but right. it doesn't mean we need to be ruled by them. It doesn't mean we need to decide by them or to have that determine what we're going to do next. Yes. Because that's what the things, things that are happening right now are by design. It's to deter people from pursuing wholeness as a society, but we can't go for it. <laughs> we can't. Nah, it. We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a don't power you know? of love and yes. self-control. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. So. Where can folks follow you? Because you're doing incredible work and I think more people need to be connected to the work that you're doing. Where where can they follow you? Yeah. So I try to keep everything updated on my website. So it's just AfricaFaneyMills.com. Um, but on the platforms, I know I'm like, I'm having like a, a I'm grappling about Twitter right now because we we know, we know what's kind of happening in that space, but yes. I'm we're still on there. So they can find me at Faney Mills on Twitter. I'm also like, if you search for um, just my name under like Facebook or Instagram um, or LinkedIn, I have um, open windows, open minds, um, Facebook pages and IG pages. And I like, I genuinely, I know some people are just like, yeah, 
keep in touch with me. I'm like, I genuinely mean that because we need to bolster one another and stay in community with one another, right? Because we have work to do. And so I really would encourage folks to please do reach out to me and connect with me. Online. And if folks want to buy open windows, open minds, developing anti-racist, anti-pro-human uh, students, where should they go to buy that? They, I mean, they can get it on all platforms. If they want to connect me personally, I can, they can get it from me. And then I could try to arrange to get a little autograph in there if they wanted to get an autograph. Um, but wherever you buy your books, you should be, you'll be able to, to buy the book. And so please do, please do. Um, Cause I really, these are conversations we need to continue to have. And I'm looking forward to being in touch with those of you who are about the same work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the book is geared towards K through 12 educators, yeah. right? I would say so. I mean, I think like that once we get into the actual classroom practices, it's probably more third through 12 okay. um, practices, because I believe definitely that the littles need a very specific approach. And there's not there's you know, that's that's not the, the full focus of the book. Um, but definitely I do feel especially the racial healing first part of the book would be good for K to 12 and higher ed teachers, any teacher. Okay. Okay. And parents so as well. Yep. So well. listen, if you're in elementary, middle school, high school, you teach at any of those levels, if you're a parent and you're really questioning, you need support, you don't know where to start. So that's often what we hear from people. Yes. Hey, where do I start? What should I read? Who should I follow? Mm -hmm. Well, we have given you one more person who is doing amazing work and one more resource in this book. All right. And so please make sure you follow Africa, Afeni Mills, and purchase the book, Open Windows, Open Minds, Developing Anti-Racist Pro-Human Students. Thank you for being here. Thank you for, for sharing and giving us some practical steps in terms of how we can engage. I'm looking forward to continuing to learn from you and, and mm. see you know, what other wonderful quotes you're going to be pulling out there that, <laughs> that I could utilize. Yeah. The, um, the, 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 the Mexican proverb you stated. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That, I mean, my goodness, that is, I'm going to be sitting with that one for. Yes. A yeah. It's yeah. powerful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Deep, yeah. Deep, well, what's next for you? Before we wrap up, I didn't have this, but you know, what what's next for you? Where can folks catch you? Are you going to be doing any presentations uh, yeah. around soon that you know maybe folks should be aware of? Yeah, well, I'm very excited to say that I will be. So this upcoming Saturday, I'll be in Cambridge, Massachusetts, presenting at the Literacy for All conference. Um, I'll be at NCTE in Anaheim as well. See you there. F you there. I'm excited about that. Um, and then um, I found out not too long ago that I will be at South by Southwest EDU um, in, in yes. the in the in the new year, right? So definitely, you know, those are some some solid upcoming opportunities that folks can connect with me. And then if you if you sign up, you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter on my website. I keep it I keep it popping with the updates and the news about any upcoming events and learning opportunities. So definitely sign up for the newsletter when you go to the website, and so you'll be able to keep you know keep um, abreast of those things too. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, you'll be in my old stomping grounds in Austin. Yes. If, if you love barbecue, Styles and Switch is our spot. Okay. I need the, I need the legit spot recommendations. So. Styles and Switch on North Lamar. Okay. They're not, they're not paying me for the plug. You just believe in the food, though. You I believe, believe in the food. Love is love. That's right. <laughs> 
And if you want some great tacos, I mean, this everywhere you could get a great taco over there. But I'd say Valentina's is is one spot you could have in mind, and Veracruz Tacos is another one. And then there was a, there's a small little spot next to where I used to be principal. It's called One Taco. Ooh, because I'm going to be there for a few days, so I'm going to write these down. Listen, right? you know how to access me. That's right. I know how to find you. I know how to find you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your time. Peace Thank and blessings. You, I, same to you. Same to you. As always, your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated. Be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. Finally, for resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Germán.